So your office workplace is a buzz. Uh, we're just gone around that one of your coworkers has just been called in to see HR, human resources. So, and in your company, that's never a good thing. And there's been three complaints made against your coworker. Not one, not two, but three. Uh, the first complaint came from some senior uh, office officials, some vice president people, uh, people that have, you know, offices on the top floor, their paychecks have a few more zeros than yours. And they've complained that this, this co-worker or this employee has been disrespectful, questioned the company's tradition, and suggested that these VPs are complicit in the company's um, misconduct. So that's complaint number one. Complaint number two is by some co-workers. Uh, they saw this all unfold. They took their co-worker aside and said, hey, 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 what are you doing? You, you can't talk like this. And in return, they received kind of some verbal abuse. They were told that they were dull or kind of willfully stupid. The third complaint coming into HR comes from a woman outside of the office who has said uh, that this coworker referred to her as a dog. So who would do this? Well, the answer is actually Jesus. We're going to look today at three different encounters in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus offends people. And the stories kind of build together. Uh, But you realize very quickly, Jesus is not in this so that he can become popular. He's not in this hoping to make friends with everybody. Jesus has come to declare the good news of the kingdom of God and that he is the son of God and to invite people to enter in by faith, which is exactly where this chapter will end. So let's look at three conversations, three people who take offense to Jesus. Conversation number one, found in Mark chapter seven, verses one to 13. I'd invite you to open up. Uh, there's gonna be some times today where you might wanna circle some words or underline some things or, or take some notes about some questions that you wanna look up later. I would encourage you to do so. Let me read for you Mark chapter seven, verses one to 13. The Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, and some teachers of the law who'd come down from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews who not only who eat not unless they've had their hands done with a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But You say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things 
like that. So Jesus is talking with religious leaders, some senior vice presidents of the religious world, and they've traveled 85 miles to see Jesus. So a multi-day trip. And what's the issue? Jesus' disciples have eaten without first washing their hands. Maybe an offense in your house growing up too. Now, since Mark's writing to a Gentile audience, you, could, you remember here in this passage, he went to some detail to kind of unpack why that's important. Now, we're no strangers right now to washing our hands and sanitizing our hands. Uh, some of us have hardly any skin left on our hands after the last year. Um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. The Jewish practice of washing hands was different. They weren't trying to avoid unclean germs. They were trying to avoid unclean people. So imagine you you go to the market and uh, someone has come through. They've picked up a cup. They were ceremonially unclean for any number of reasons. Their uncleanliness has now been transferred to the cup. They don't buy it, but they put it down and they walk away. You come a little bit later and you pick up this unclean cup. Their uncleanness is now transferred to you. It's transferred to your hands. And then when you eat things, they believe it actually went inside of you. So you washed your hands, not for germs, but to keep this kind of uncleanliness from getting transferred to you. But here's the thing, and, that's this, and this is the thing that you could see is bothering Jesus in this passage. This command of washing your hands before you eat was given to the high priests and to the high priests alone, outlined and taught in the scriptures. And because the priests were seen as kind of close to God and therefore the need to be the most pure, the thinking developed, well, maybe we should all carry on this practice of washing our hands before we eat because we want to be pure and we want to be close to God too. And then that then kind of mutated even further to the kind of line of thinking that said, well, if you don't wash your hands before you eat, well, then clearly you don't want to be close to God. And this is, was kind of the thinking in the day of Jesus' disciples. They'd taken a man-made rule and treated it like it was a commandment from God and were holding people to account and judging them for it. Now, I think most traditions like this start with good intentions. Um, you know, and in Jesus' day, these people were growing up in a harsh time. The Roman military had moved in. They'd rolled over their country and they watched, these Jewish people watched as so, many of, so much of their culture and so many of their traditions just came apart and fell to pieces and their whole world was kind of turned unclean. And they really, really, really believed. If we become more pure or in our language, we might say more spiritual, God's gonna come back more quickly. And so it's important that we're all really serious about this and we're just gonna all get really spiritual together and as we do, God will come back to us more quickly. And there's been expressions of this really in every generation of faith even in our day today. They had good intentions, but it turned into these man-made rules that really became a way of deciding who's in, clean, spiritual, righteous, and who's out, unclean, unspiritual, and unrighteous. Now, if you grew up in the church today, or if you're involved in ministry like I am, (laughs) these verses make us uncomfortable, and they're supposed to. And they should, and we should lean into that and not resist that. Jesus is speaking to a condition that is found really in religious communities, namely hypocrisy and legalism. That we start with this desire to be faithful to God, to be obedient, um, and then it 
slowly turns into, if left unchecked, a desire just to be a good Christian on the outside. And we stop paying attention to what's going on on the inside. We stop paying attention to what's happening in our hearts, what's happening in our souls. And the only thing that matters is the image that we project for other people to see and hopefully like. And that's when trouble begins. I remember a punchy quote that I read early in ministry and I've never forgotten it. It said this, long before there's public failure or public mess in someone's life, there's been private failure and private mess in their life. This is what Jesus is talking about. These people, Jesus says, as he holds up a pot and says, look, you think it's clean on the outside. You have polished it. It's perfect. But I'm asking you today, what's going on on the inside and to pay attention to that. So these disciples, they do not wash their hands and before they ate, so clearly they do not want to be close to God. Clearly they're unclean, clearly they're unspiritual, and clearly they should be kept out. That's conversation number one. Conversation number two, let's pick it up at verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, everyone and understand this. And listen to this, verse 15. This is so essential to the gospel. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. If you pick up the pot and someone's uncleanliness gets transferred to you and then you pick up a sandwich and you eat it and it goes inside you, that's not how you become unclean. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Jesus, we love that sermon. That was awesome. Oh, that was great. I mean, if you were to like summarize it in like one or two sentences, how would you summarize what it meant? They missed the point. And Jesus, offense number two coming, in verse 18 says, Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing enter, that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? This is the second time he said it. For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then comes out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods were clean. He went on. Occasion number three, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Jesus is getting into some material here that is absolutely essential. The kind of material that every Christian has to wrestle with. Anybody wrestling with faith has to get their mind around. It's the the very heart of the gospel. And Jesus repeats it here three separate times because it's so important that they get it. So the public conversation is over. Jesus has offended the religious leaders, the VPs, and now he brings the disciples alone into the room and he's talking to them a little bit about what it meant because they're struggling They've heard what he's just said, but it goes so against the teachings and their upbringing. They're trying to reconcile all this and to wrestle with this. And Jesus calls them dull. Or as Eugene Peterson in his translation so eloquently says, willfully stupid. Now Jesus is not disagreeing with the fact that these people are unclean. He's disagreeing with what makes us unclean. Our problem is not hands, it's heart. It's beneath the surface. 
And therefore, nothing we do, no matter how many times we wash our hands, are we ever going to deal with the issue that is really the issue, which is beneath the surface and in our hearts. Or, to put it more bluntly, we cannot come to God as we are, no matter how well behaved we are, no matter how religious we are, no matter how good we think we are. Now, this is not popular today. Um, You travel around and ask people, are people good? And they'll say, yes, people are good. I believe in their heart, all people are truly good. And good usually means this. In matters of character and behavior that I do not struggle with, I am awesome. And in matters of character and integrity that I do struggle with, well, the scriptures really aren't clear about how it is and everybody's doing it anyways. Saying that we are not good is not saying that we do not have value. Every person has value. But that's different than saying that every person is good. And as a pastor, and you've got friends, you talk to people, if everybody is good, why do we spend so much talking, so much time talking about what's wrong with us? Why are we trying to numb pain and to fill voids and we are always comparing ourselves to others? Let's be honest. If you look at our culture today, we do not really present the message that we are all naturally good. Even Frank Kafka, in his chipper, sunshiny writings, talks about as as human race, we do not like the idea of sin. We don't like the idea of judgment. We don't like the idea of um, being guilty for things. But then even he writes in his writings, deep down inside, we all know that something is wrong. And he even uses the word that we're all unclean. So, Jesus illustrates this point by giving us a lovely list of things that would make us unclean. And what's interesting about this list is they all come naturally to us. You do not need to teach us how to do any of the things Jesus lists in verse 21 to 23. No one has ever come up and said, look, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of becoming more greedy Wondering if you have some tips for that. How, how might I go about that? Or, you know, I would really like there to be more envy in my life. I'm wondering if you've got two or three steps that I could kind of undertake to kind of help me become a little bit more envious. No, these things come naturally to us. Because at our very core, we are unclean and in need of rescue and redemption and salvation. Which brings us to the third story, which surprisingly is where we find the good news. Now, Mark has brilliantly structured chapter 7. He's building to this passage that we're going to read today. And so let's read where Jesus gets into uh, his third offense and is now required for sensitivity training. Uh, Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24 to 30. Jesus left that place, and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked about Jesus and his disciples. They'd done some ministry. He'd sent them out. Um, They'd had all kinds of stories, and he brought them back. He said, let's go off. We'll rest. We'll talk about this. I'll teach you some more. But a crowd showed up. So he has to feed 5,000. The disciples were so busy, they hadn't even eaten. Jesus here in this passage is still determined to get away and get some rest, that he crosses the border and goes to another region. But as per usual, he gets interrupted. Verse 25. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter 
was possessed by an evil spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her daughter lying in bed and the demon gone. So conversation number one in this chapter, Jesus with the religious VPs, he offends them. Conversation number two was all about cleanliness and what makes people unclean. And Mark now uses in story number three about as many descriptors to describe somebody as unclean as possible. First of all, it says this story takes place in Tyre, which is now outside of Israel. He's crossed the border. He's gone from the Holy Land to the unholy land. So this land is unclean. Then he meets a woman with a daughter with an impure spirit. She was born in Syria, but raised in Greece. And now she is the one who's coming begging to Jesus. Now, if you're Mark's readers and you hear that, what you know is, in traditional culture, the men do the asking. The men would go to Jesus and ask for the demon to be cast out because she is coming, is sending the message she has no husband. She's divorced. She's, she's single. So Jesus is in an unclean country. He meets an unclean woman who has an unclean daughter. She's been raised and born as a Gentile. She's probably divorced and she has, her daughter has this impure spirit. And I kind of picture in my very immature mind that as Mark is writing this, he's grinning from ear to ear, thinking about story number one, all this conversation about what's unclean, story number two, what makes us unclean. And now he's making sure that the readers hear this woman is about as unclean as anybody can get. So they visit and they have a conversation. <laughs> and it's interesting and the subject of much commentary. Uh, first, this lady's a mom. Her daughter is not well, and she is desperate. She is desperate to get this situation remedied. She's living in a difficult home situation. She approaches Jesus, who she knows has healed demons, and cast all kinds of them out for people on the other side of the border, and she comes and she falls down, and she begs Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus is filled with compassion and says, no. Now, I want to talk about the words that Jesus uses in their conversation here. Jesus is not demeaning the woman and he's not disrespecting her. That would be sin. And this conversation is completely out of character for Jesus and that's on purpose. So if you're uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus has just referred to this woman as a dog, I want you to enter into that and not quickly kind of run away. I want you to enter in and to resist the temptation to move on quickly and just kind of soak in this story and really see what's going on here. Remembering conversation number one, Jesus and religious officials about who is and who is not unclean. Conversation number two with the disciples, how do we become unclean? He's offended both parties. So the woman comes begging and asks Jesus and Jesus says, 
First let the children eat all they want. And then he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now I can share that translation in other, or that verse in other translations, and it sounds no better. Uh, I can show you that the Greek word here that Mark is using is not dogs as in wild scavengers, but rather the Greek word of Greek households that had dogs as pets. But I know that doesn't help either. Jesus is not talking about this woman's value, but about priority. Question for dog owners. Anyone ever kind of have a big feast, have some supper, and then you've got some leftovers on your plate, and so you scrape off a little into Muffy's bowl, and Muffy eats it? Probably, right? And the issue here is order. You eat first, and then Muffy, right? No one barbecues delicious burgers, and then when it comes time for supper, you invite the dog to the table first, and then whatever the dog hasn't eaten, you pass on to your kids. I mean, maybe. Jesus is talking here about order. He's been very clear from the very beginning that his mission has been to come and to call his people, who were called way back in Genesis 12, his chosen people to be the ones that would be the distributors of his blessing in the world. And so in his mission, he comes first to Israel, trying to train up his people and rise them up. He calls them and says, I'm going to call you and I'm going to send you out. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to be a light to the nations. And his hope is that as Israel is activated with faith, they will then take that faith to all of the surrounding peoples so that everybody will hear the good news. So how's that going? Well, The Pharisees that we've talked to in conversation number one were running around judging everybody for rules that they made up, not rules that God made up. Conversation number two, Jesus and the disciples who have spent the most amount of time with him and they still do not get the very heart of the gospel. So fair to say this trip to kind of activate Israel into mission has faced a few snags, which raises the question, If the people who know the Bible best are not getting it, and the people who have spent the most time with Jesus are not getting it, who's getting it? Well, let's go back to our story. So Jesus has come to call the people of Israel. First, he's now left the country so he can get away with his disciples to continue to pour into their lives and continue to teach them and get them some rest because clearly they need it. Jesus is interrupted by this woman who has six different descriptors to describe how unclean that she is. And Jesus says, sorry, I'm come to Israel first. And I love her response. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That verse should be on a teacup. Seriously, I mean, this is a mic drop moment. Most, one commentator kind of jokingly suggested this is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus loses an argument. What's going on here? This woman is showing bold faith, bold determination, a relentless pursuit. Jesus, I might be the queen of unclean, but I believe that you are able to heal. And so I come to you, I humble myself, For the reference, I'm the first person to call you Lord in Mark's gospel, and I put in your hands the most treasured possession I have in this life, my daughter. 
and I'm entrusting her well-being and her future to your care. Like Jacob wrestling with the angel of God, I am not leaving until I get my blessing. And Jesus says to her, (laughs) for such a reply, for such faith, for such boldness and determination, go home. It's all looked after. Your daughter is healed. After two rounds of conversation with people who do not get it, Jesus finally has a conversation with someone who gets it. I mean, if the Pharisees were offended by the disciples not washing their hands before they ate, they would have died in the presence of this woman. But Jesus is making just a powerful statement for everybody listening and reading. What matters to God is faith. He has come looking for people who have faith. Well, how much faith? A crumbworth, she says. Look, Jesus, you spend all of your bread and fish feeding the 5,000, feeding all the people on the mountainsides. I'll be happy to have a nibble out of the bag that the disciples pick up at the very end of the day. I'll be happy with a crumb. Even a mustard seed worth of faith. And you've got Jesus' attention. So Mark, he's writing for his Gentile friends in Rome. And he tells them this story. (laughs) That this woman is unclean as anybody could be. Jesus honors her for her faith. How about you today? You feeling like you've just got a little bit of faith? You feeling a little too unclean, maybe, for some religious circles? Feeling a little bit unworthy? Maybe you've had an experience with a Christian or a church person who's acted like the grouchy receptionist at an office and who says to you, you know, very politely, uh, you need to come back when you get yourself a little bit more cleaned up for Jesus. Jesus is looking for people who will put their lives in his hands. And all you need is a crumb of faith. This is such good news. And Jesus is reminding us that we need to pay attention to what is going on in our hearts. And if we want to have our hearts changed, it will not come by washing our hands more often. But as we allow the Spirit of God to do His work in us. So I'm going to close in prayer today by praying the prayer that I've been praying as I've been writing um, this, this message for us here today. So let me pray for us. Lord, may this passage offend each and every one of us. But may we stay present with you through this story until we see the good news that Christ has come for all, no matter how unclean we are. That Christ is looking for faith, even the smallest amount. And Lord, that you are powerful enough to deal with all the stuff that is going on beneath the surface of our hearts. May we place our hands, our lives in your hands today as this woman did. Entrusting our lives to your grace. And we pray this in your name. Amen.